Anytime you're doing something that's not what you most love to do, what you're uniquely suited to do and what makes your biggest contribution, anytime you're doing that, you're actually in the grip of the upper limit problem. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and I am thrilled and honored to bring back to the show one of the most popular guests and influential people in the personal development space of all time. His name is Gay Hendricks, and he's been a leader in the field of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD from Stanford in 74, Gay served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He's written more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as Five Wishes, The Big Leap, Conscious Loving and Conscious Loving Ever After, the last two he co-authored with his mate for more than 35 years, Dr. Kathleen Hendricks. He's also a mystery novelist, and I'm curious about that, so I, we're going to talk about that. But his new book, Conscious Luck, reveals eight ways to change your fortunes through the power of intention. He has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and other we're going to talk about his newest book, The Genius Zone, today, which was published in June of 2021. Gay, welcome back to The Daily Helping. It is so great to have you back on the show. Dr. Richard, it's really great to be here. I'm so excited about this new book, and I've been talking about it kind of 28 hours a day and uh, delighted to be talking about it with your community. Well, I appreciate that, and thank you for taking an hour or so to share with mine. So for those of you that didn't tune in and hear Gay and I talk about the big leap. That was way back in episode 119. So I urge you to go back and, and check that out where we dig into his superhero origin story and all good things, Gay Hendricks. But so I want to jump to this book because you're a prolific writer. You've written so many best-selling books. Why this book and why now? Well, I appreciate that's a great question, Dr. Richard. The uh, answer, the simple answer to that is it's a culmination of the big leap. I got to a certain place with the big leap, and then that was published 12 years ago, but I kept on doing work with people and seminars and that kind of thing, and I kept developing the idea that was in the big leap, the two big ideas, the uh, how to get out from under your upper limit problem and how to get into your genius zone. The new book, The Genius Zone, is a culmination of that process because it shows you once you've made your big leap into your genius zone, what do you do on a moment-to-moment -moment basis to stay there? And so I say the big leap is about getting into your genius zone, and the new book, The Genius Zone, is about learning to live there. And it takes some adjustment. You know, like uh, yesterday, my wife and I were in the backyard and some friends had brought their baby over to swim in our pool. And 
so we were uh, watching this family swim with their new four month old baby and watching him just thrive in the water. And, uh, but up above in the sky, my wife looked up and said, Oh, look, and there was probably seven or eight hawks circling way in the distance. They're very common in the little mountain valley that I live in. So you can almost always look up, maybe not so many, but compare it to how you might soar as a hawk. You're way up there in the wind, but you're making such subtle adjustments that it's effortless. Like these, these birds were not even moving their wings, really. You couldn't see it because they were so sensitive to the currents. And so the new book, The Genius Zone, shows you how to get there and stay there. And I want to dig into that, and I can't wait. But so for those who haven't read The Big Leap and, and aren't familiar with your zones, let's just really quickly dive into, into what those are. Yes, if you look carefully into how you spend your time during your day, you'll often notice that you spend time in one of three zones that are kind of common and not that hard to spend time in, but almost nobody's spending time in the fourth zone. So number one, a lot of us, unfortunately, and I've done it myself, spend time doing things we're not suited to do that we don't like to do and we haven't figured out any other way to do them you know like if there was a point in my entrepreneurial life when i literally didn't have enough money to buy a laser printer that was our heart's desire was to get a laser printer for the office now i don't even know if they probably still make laser printers but i don't hear people call them that anymore they're just printers but at another stage we're looking whether to buy this giant complex of phone systems that go across three or four states to where all our people are, you know, for $30,000 a month or something. So no matter what level of the game you're at, there's a lot of time that I've spent in my zone of incompetence, doing something that somebody else could do a lot better. As soon as I figured that out, though, I also realized that I'm spending time in my zone of competence, which is what I'm okay at, but somebody else could do it just as well. And so those two things are eating up a lot of my time. So I figured that out. Uh, I tell a story in the book, a humorous one, I hope, about standing in line at the post office. And uh, this was go back into the early days of this century. And I'm standing in line at the post office, and it's this glacially slow moving line where there was literally probably about 15 people waiting in line compared to one clerk. And at one point, an elderly gentleman at the front of the line kind of threw a temper tantrum and started yelling, get some more people out here. And so people were agitated in this line. But the key point for me is I realized I'd spent 15 minutes doing something that an assistant could do for 10 bucks an hour. What did that cost me? Well, at that time, my executive coaching cost $1,000 an hour. And so here I had spent $250 of my time doing something that somebody else could have done just as easily and probably without being so agitated about it. So look for the things in your competence and incompetence zone and get them delegated to somebody else as soon as possible. Now, if you're with earshot or viewership of this program, Dr. Richard, the audience is probably more sophisticated than a lot of folks might be just driving down the road, uh, listening to heavy metal or something like that. So let me speak directly to folks that have, have a taste for personal growth and a, 
and a deep intention inside to fulfill themselves. The zone of excellence is a third zone, but it can also be the stickiest trap uh, because the more you do your zone of excellence, the more people appreciate you for it and the more money they give you and the more pats on the back attaboys and attagirls they give you. And what it does ultimately, it becomes a seduction that keeps you from the fourth zone, which is the zone of genius. Your genius zone is when you're doing what you most love to do, and it coincides with what makes the biggest contribution to the world around you. Like you and I right now are in our genius zones. You love what you do. I know. I see the results of it. You can't do that just to make a buck. I guarantee you, because Sometimes I'm on with people that are doing it just to make a buck. And so it's very easy for me to spot when somebody's heart and soul is in something, when you're employing your unique gift in a way that makes a difference in other people's lives. So blessings upon any of us that have discovered how to do that, because ultimately people like ourselves only really thrive when we're in our genius zones. If we're not in our genius zones, we got to be working toward it. Otherwise, there's a place inside ourselves that's going, uh-oh, I'm sinking more into despair every moment. And, you know, I don't know if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever you are, you're kind of in an indeterminate age. But let's say I see you've got a little gray in your hair, so I'm going to guess 40 or so. <laughs> okay. So when you're in your 40s, you have a very different view of life than you do in your 30s. In developmental psychology, we say in your 20s, your job is to experiment. In your 30s, you find your life. In your 40s, you build your life. And from then on, you enjoy your life, hopefully, if you make the right moves. And I'll tell you what they are. But a lot of us, when we're at midlife, miss an important point. And that is that unless we're birthing our genius more every day, there are only two choices after 40. Every breath you take is a breath of creativity and renewal or a breath of stagnation. Pick one. Is your breath going to serve creativity and renewal, finding new things to learn, finding new lines of expression? See, 20 years ago, you and I hadn't even heard of this medium called podcasts. It probably hadn't even been invented, but I know I hadn't heard of it. I was kind of a latecomer to it. I thought, boy, you know, why would people want that? Just like, why would people, I remember my first thought when I heard the uh, fax machine went, wow, what would somebody do with something like that? You know, why would anybody even need something like that? Well, anyway, now, you know, it's one of our main sources of learning, and it's fantastic, you know, and you can do it in your car and, or wherever you happen to be. I'm very grateful for every moment I get to spend in my genius zone. When I first started, long before I wrote The Big Leap, I was only spending about 10% of my time in my own genius zone. And that was a sobering realization because I realized, wow, where's the other 90% going to take me? Where could that take me? Because I was already pretty successful at what I did. But wow, once I set the intention to go from 10% up to 30%, and then 30 to 70, and then 70 to 100, 
it made such a difference in my life. It took me 20 years, frankly, to get from 10% to 100% at the end of the century. I probably should say 90% because some of my time every day, 90% of it has been doing things like I'm doing now or writing or speaking in some way or practicing, you know, seeing clients. But 10% of my time, like I'm in charge of the dishwasher here and uh, it's not in my genius zone, you know, you got to do things like that. And, uh, I'm the kitty litter maestro here. My wife has assigned me that task. So I'm not a genius uh, maintainer of that, but I do my best. Uh, so, but point I'm making is most of my time I wake up in the morning, I know I'm going to spend 90% of my day doing what I most love to do and what hopefully makes the biggest contribution to people out there in the world. And so that to me is good living. And I wish that opportunity on everyone. I don't hold back from that. I think you would enjoy it out there in the world if you got to that level of expressing your genius. And I've seen it happen now. I've worked with 25,000 uh, individuals and couples, as well as about 1,200 or so C-suite uh, CEO or CFO type uh, business executives. So I've had the opportunity to test out the ideas in a number of different venues. And all the way, as I say, from juvenile delinquents, where I started to movie stars now, but they all have the same problem. They all have the same upper limit problem. They may have made millions or in some cases billions, but what they may not have is a successful relationship at home, for example, because they're blocked on the amount of love they can give and receive. And so all of these things are fixable if we can find our upper limit problems and learn how to transcend those and get into the genius zone. So there's hope. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. There's always hope. And so that's a beautiful point to transition into steps that we can take to get into our genius zone. And then how do we stay there? Yes. Well, it's called commitment is the absolute essential first step. If you want to get into your genius zone and spend more time there, the commitment goes like this. I commit to living every day in my genius zone. I commit to doing whatever it takes to living every day in my genius zone. And it's got to be a sincere, heartfelt commitment, not something you do with a divided mind. As the book of James told me once upon a time when I was in Sunday school, a divided mind is at war with itself. A divided mind is unstable in all its ways. And so we've got to have our hearts and minds in synchrony about what we most want in life. And for me, once I sat down and figured out what I most wanted in my life, it was only five big things, you know, it was a relationship, a, a certain type of relationship. And 
at the time I didn't have it, but now we're about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary, Katie and I. And so I once didn't have it, and then I made a commitment to bringing it forth, and it manifested. Same thing with the other big things I wanted for my life. I wanted to create a body of written work that people would appreciate and be able to learn from. And I wanted to be able to savor the moments of my life instead of spending them drifting elsewhere. I wanted to have a certain kind of relationship with my family and my creator. And so all of these things have manifested, but none of them did until I actually made a heartfelt commitment to it. I don't know if you found this true in your work, Dr. Richard, but I say to my students and clients, the longest journey you'll ever make is the 12-inch journey from your head down to your heart to get those two things in aligned. Because for me, I came at life first from an extremely intellectual place. You know, I was a English major, and I laughed at things like psychology, you know, that was for sissies. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if it couldn't be uh, expressed in poetry or found in the body, I didn't want anything to do with it, especially not all that spiritual stuff. And so <laughs> I've completely done a turnaround because I came to a place in my life where I kind of stumbled into a spiritual awareness of the world without even kind of, uh, I came to one of those places where I had a slip and fall one time and I didn't knock myself out, but I kind of landed with, kind of knocked myself, I call it an out of Hendrix experience. And I had this experience though of spacious spirit that was always operating in me. And that became a signature moment for me because it, it showed me who we really are as human beings. We're not just physical beings. And most of us don't realize how much we're energy beings, emotional beings. There's all this current of stuff going on in, in our bodies, angers and griefs and fears. And most of us kind of tune that out. I happen to know that because a lot of people that come here have successfully tuned it out for a while, but then at around 35 or 40, it starts becoming deafening the uh, feedback coming in that they need to pay attention to it. So. Um, but I've rebirthed myself in my own body. I used to be very obese and uh, created a whole new weightlifter's body. I'm now about 180, 185 pounder instead of a 300 pounder I was 50 years ago. And so I carved a, uh, a body out of uh, like Michelangelo carving a <laughs> chunk of marble. <laughs> I found the body in there. But the way I did it was finding a spirit in me and feeding that spirit with daily meditation and walks in nature and spending quality time with my wife every day and all the kinds of things that build your contact with soul and spirit. Because it's it's not just having an experience of it, you've got to kind of work at it every day. And in a way, the genius zone is also about how to lead a life that's conflict free. What can you do? How can you tune yourself so that instead of hitting road bumps at high speed, you kind of see the road bumps coming and ease your way over them so that your life becomes a process of easing past and through the things that used to knock you into the ditch before. So I'm hearing kind of an order, commitment, and then I'm using, these are my words, not yours, but a sense of spiritual self-care where you're on a regular basis doing things that feel good, that emotionally benefit us, that 
keep us routinely in a centered place. I love that. I'm sure somebody else has already gotten hold of the book title, <laughs> Spiritual Self-Care. Uh, but in case anybody hasn't, uh, <laughs> it would be a good book because, yeah, you know, I mentioned the Hawks earlier. And interestingly enough, the, the couple that came over yesterday with their baby to swim in our pool, they're friends of ours, and they're in their 30s, and uh, he's in his early 40s, and they just had their first baby. She's had a very successful film career, and he's had a very successful career in another field, but they uh, had put off babyhood until they were in their 30s and early 40s. And we were telling them the story of saying our wedding vows to each other on a mountaintop in Colorado 40 years ago. And the same thing happened with Hawks. As Katie and I were standing there saying our wedding vows to each other, Katie said, oh, look, and she looked up and we, I looked up and there were these two beautiful hawks circling right above our head. And so we both felt a rush of joy. We were already in a pretty high place anyway, standing on top of a mountain as well as being having been madly in love with each other for a year and a half and finally culminating that with our wedding. Um, to see these two hawks circling above us, we perceived it as a, a blessing of our union. And the thing that we both noticed at the time was how effortlessly it was. If you wrote, you could use the wind currents to rise if you knew how to make the adjustments. And this was long before we'd ever thought of writing a book called Conscious Loving or anything like that. And um, in fact, I was a university professor and Katie was a private practice therapist at the time. So this is long before Oprah was even on the air. So that moment we feel blessed us with this image of it if we worked it right so to somehow be able to rise in love instead of hitting those crash and hit the ground places that other people hit and that frankly we had hit in other relationships because i didn't sit down and ask myself what do i really want in a close relationship until i was almost 34 years old and before then, I just ricocheted around like on a pinball machine. You know, I didn't really have any driving ethos about my relationships, except if I felt lonely, I'd get involved with somebody, and then that wouldn't work out six months later, and then I'd get involved with somebody else. And so I'd done that sort of thing since I was a teenager, except for one long four-year kind of relationship. But anyway, the point is that I'd gotten to my mid-30s almost without ever saying, what do I really want? To me, that's not only obliviousness on my part, but it's also, I think, miseducation on the part of, uh, I mean, I think it'd be pretty easy to have a bunch of first graders or sixth graders or 10th graders sit down and write down on a piece of paper what they want to create for their lives and write down on a piece of paper what kind of relationship they want to have with a beloved. And, you know, kind of do a little thinking about that because I frankly, until I, had my pinball machine experiences for 12 years, had never actually sat down and asked myself, what's important to me? Once I did, I figured out there was only three or four things that were really important to me. And uh, I came up with uh, what I now teach, which is for people who want to create a relationship, a process I call creating your absolute yeses and absolute noes, where you figure out your top three things that you really want and the top three things that you really don't want in your relationship, because what happens, I've seen it here, I don't know how many thousands of times. People 
make a mistake in their relationship and then get out of that relationship and proceed to get into another relationship where they make the same mistake. You know, you get out of a relationship with an alcoholic only to jump into a relationship with a cocaine. <laughs> and I've seen that happen many, many, many times. So anyway, keep those absolute yeses and noes in mind and it, it helps you for, for steering purposes, for sure. And certainly, helps you find those things that, I mean, that applies to getting into your genius zone, not just relationships, of course, but it, it makes perfect sense.